0: Alright, so really, it is so good to be together again and just see, um, it's so fun to get to know you all better and get to know those of you that I don't know at all. And um, we, we've we talked about how encouraging it is to just see just God's grace in your life and how you are just, um, you are being diligent and faithful and doing your homework and just in pursuing the Lord. And it's just, Um, It's such an encouragement to us, and so just we're just blessed by each and every one of you. And um, next week, I want to remind you if you look at your schedule, we aren't meeting next week, it's we're going to start that almost every last Thursday of the month, but it isn't always that way, but next Thursday we will not be meeting. So if you are behind on your homework and you need to do some catch-up and listen online or just complete homework, that gives you a good opportunity to do that. And then we'll see you back here the following Thursday. And just in case you don't know, we're missing someone. We're missing one of those that had her baby, Jen. Yes, she had her baby, little boy, is healthy. What? How much do you weigh? Eight, two, this little Jen had an eight pound, eight pound, two ounce baby. And so we're just praising God for that. And are they still in the hospital? Or are they home? No, yeah, they're home. Okay, and if you'd like to um, sign up to take a mail, they live in Gilbert. Um, we can give you that information later as well. Alright, so why are we here this morning? What are we doing? We have a purpose with what we're doing, and it is to equip and encourage the women of Grace Bible Church to shepherd their hearts, that's what we call it, uh, toward someone, toward Jesus Christ, with the Word of God, so that they do something, and it's to live out the gospel, to live gospel-transformed lives, and that does something. It strengthens the church. When we're pursuing Christ, when we're when we're pursuing a gospel-transformed life for his glory, it strengthens his church and its gospel purpose. And that's why we're here. And we have three disciplines that we're focusing on. That's why there's such a huge emphasis on our hearts. Discipline one, it says she prayerfully shepherds her heart toward God through the word of God, and in particular, the gospel. We must... Shepherd our hearts, lead our hearts, draw near with our hearts to Him. And we do that in His Word, and in particular, the Gospel. We're here to encourage one another to do that. And I'm so thankful. I am so thankful um, for Wellspring and the opportunity to be encouraged and to learn to prioritize my life with these disciplines, to think in light of these discipline, disciplines. They remind us, they remind me, and and they encourage us to see just how important it is meeting with Him in His Word and to make that a priority in our lives. And when I'm not doing that, when I'm not meeting with Him, when I'm not shepherding my heart in His Word, when I'm not pursuing Jesus this way, when I'm not meeting with Him regularly, you know what happens? I grow weak. I grow weaker. I grow weak in guarding my heart. And what I'm doing with my thoughts throughout the day, I grow. I grow weak. I have weak counsel to others. I have a weak prayer life. Doubts can creep in. I grow weak, and and I can forget God's great promises that He has for us. And um, we can eventually start to struggle with our mixed condition hearts, not just. Um, with desire to meet with him in his word, but with our own sin and when others sin against us, we can grow weak in our thinking and even start to have wrong thinking, right? Anyone else experience that? It happens. Our hearts are deceptive, remember? So it's important that we're shepherding our hearts, that we're counseling our hearts, we're leading our hearts to to the word of God in order to meet with him. That's when we are strengthened in our love and our affection for Jesus so we can serve him we can obey him we can think rightly we can guard our hearts we can shepherd our hearts after we close our bible we can enjoy him more and mo- enjoy him more and more as we live gospel transformed lives shepherding our hearts doesn't end when we close our bibles right it's so important to spend time in god's word where we start, but shepherding our hearts doesn't end there. It starts there. Our hearts need shepherding with what we know from his word constantly. It's an ongoing shepherding of this inner man, of this heart. He's given us new hearts. He wants us to bring them to him in his word where he's revealed himself to us most clearly, right? And we want to encourage you to be the kind of women that diligently pursues this. We must be, for the gospel's sake. For the gospel's sake, we shouldn't think this is an option. Life is busy. Life is busy. I'm busy. We're busy. And, and that's true. But seasons will continually change. I promise. <laughs> they are just going to change. This isn't about circumstances or life situations, though that does impact, impact it. This is about our heart motive, about what we're doing with our hearts. So we keep fighting, we keep make meeting with him, in his word, a priority, and it just takes discipline. It just takes discipline. We will probably be fighting for this the rest of our lives. So we just have to be purposeful and, and, and diligent and encourage one another in this. Alright, and then the second discipline is discipline two. It's about the relationships that we have in our homes. She ministers to those in her household with her heart for God and the gospel. And it's just so easy to skip over these relationships sometimes, isn't it? To get to other relationships. But these are about the people in our homes and the people that come into our homes. Placing um, a priority on those relationships. Not neglecting those relationships in our home. So we have to be concerned we have to be concerned first about those relationships that God's placed right there in our homes and those who enter into our homes. So as we live gospel-transformed lives, it begins in our sphere of influence right there where God has placed us. And we want to give off an aroma in our homes of someone who loves God and meets with him, who, who fights for that, who pursues that in his word, who delights in him. And then live out those gospel-transformed lives there. Make an impact for the gospel there first. And when we see our homes as a place to impact those for Christ, not just a place to fix up and decorate and live and sleep and eat, those, those things are great and they're wonderful. I love the, all of that. But when we see our homes rightly, we will be purposeful and we'll see the sweet opportunity opportunity that we have to make an impact for the gospel there regardless of the season of life that we're in whether we're single whether we're married married with kids whether we're empty nesters whether we have uh whether we we have grandchildren whether we're caring for family members outside of our homes that need our care like aging parents, whatever circumstance. And it's just so encouraging to see so many of you ladies being faithful in that, diligently caring for your hearts, and then caring for those in your homes. You're an example to me. I see the purposefulness in in that, Um, placing a priority with those relationships, and you want to do that for a gospel impact in your homes. Our kids are grown. We're empty nesters. And in all honesty, I I have many regrets in this area. So moms, with children at home, I don't want you to have the same regrets. You have such a gospel opportunity now with your little ones. So don't miss it. Looking back, I wasn't as diligent as I wish I had been. um, But you know what? God is so gracious. He's so gracious in that. It's not too late, ever. It's never too late to start, right? Right? Regardless of where you are right now, it's never too late to start. I'm so encouraged by the remember by the reminder that Scott reminds us, nothing can stop the gospel. That's a great reminder for me. And the third discipline is ministry. With a heart for God and the gospel and fulfilling her ministry within her household. So that's discipline one, that's discipline two. She steps into the church to shepherd others toward God and the gospel. This is how we minister. The gospel to people in the church, how the body cares for the body to help the body grow. You know, whether it's in our small groups, mentoring relationships, our friendships, next generation uh, relationships, wellspring, however you serve. This is how we care for those outside of the church as well. Uh, we're, We're going to be stepping into people's life in the church and outside of the church as we continue to practice and grow in these disciplines. All right, so please take out your outline that you had last week, if you were here last week, and I'm just wondering, um, for those, how do I say this, for those of you who weren't here last week, uh, did anybody not get a, a chance to listen online, just kind of, you can just do this, you've heard before, <laughs> so, so. Um, Okay, so what we're going to do, we're, we're going to, so it's really okay because we're going to um, do some review. And so, I want to remind you that um, we are going to review this whole uh, point in number one. And I'll tell you when we're on point two. It's kind of long, and you might get confused. But we're going to start by reading our passage. The passage that is um, what we talked about last week, and what we'll um, end with this week, starting by reading Hebrews 4. So if you would turn to Hebrews 4, 11 through 13. Cammie read it. That was so sweet, Cammie, because we just can't have it enough. Verse 11 starts with, therefore, let us be diligent to enter that rest, so that no one will fall through following the same example of disobedience. For the word of God is living and active and sharper than any two-edged sword and piercing as far as the division of soul and spirit of both joints and marrow and able to judge the thoughts and intentions of the heart. And there's no creature hidden from his sight, but all things are open and laid bare to the eyes of him with whom we have to do. Let's pray. Father, once again we come before your throne of grace. We thank you that we can do that only by, um, by you, Lord, saving us. Thank you that we now have your great salvation rest in your son, Jesus. Thank you, Lord, that when we did not deserve your mercy, uh, you graciously um, gave us mercy, and you poured your wrath out on your son in our place. Lord, and now we have peace with you through him. And we can boldly come before your throne. You are Jesus, you're our great high priest. Thank you, Lord, that you have given us your spirit. And now I ask, Lord, for help. I ask for help for me in speaking um, your word this morning. I ask for help in our hearts with conviction, with encouragement. Lord, with um, just... Hearts that long to pursue you more and rest more in your son. And Lord, I pray that we would all be women who would be diligent about that, Lord, and that we would um, leave here just eager to continue to fight, to continue to rest until the very end. Lord, I thank you for the kids and the servants that are over in Wellspring Kids and just... How um, sweet it is to think that those women are eager to tell those little children about you, Lord. I, would you would you do a work there? We pray that there would be fruit from that, and that children would come to know you and be used by you mightily. Um, Father, we just commit this morning to you, and we hope that and pray that you are are just glorified in what in our discussion time and in this time of. Um, having your word open before us, and it's in your son's name we pray. Amen. All right. Well, the question that we had last week, and that's on your outline, is are you passionate for salvation's rest? Are you passionate for salvation's rest? And this passage is very sobering because it's a very serious warning. The writer of Hebrews is writing to this group of Hebrew Christians. He's writing to this church, and he's telling them, He's telling them, uh, these Hebrew Christians, is being persecuted for leaving Judaism, that they've taken their foot off the gas, and they're just coasting, spiritually speaking, and that they, they need to be diligent to enter God's rest. God's big, remember, God's big salvation's rest that's in Christ. It's the greater rest that we have in Christ. And it's also a warning to us as Christians. We're called to be diligent to enter that same rest. If you've taken your foot off the gas and started to coast, spiritually speaking, it's to keep going. Keep going and be diligent. God established his great salvation's rest um, to require believers to be diligent. The Christian life is not about coasting. The Christian life is about pursuing, about being diligent to enter his rest alone. God God says um, there's a promise of rest Remember, we talked about all those smaller cycles of rest. They were never the end. They were to point to the greater rest in Christ. The writer of Hebrews, he's he's concerned that these persecuted Hebrew Christians are missing it. That history is repeating itself. It's what's happened all throughout redemptive history. They were not being diligent. They were just coasting. Spiritually speaking, and it's a call for us. If we've been coasting, if we've been thinking, you know, I know I'm saved, I know I have that fire insurance, and I'm really tired, and I'm just going to coast, that kind of heart attitude, that's all salvation really is. It's the small view of salvation, and it's so dangerous to think that way. Remember, there's a there's a sense in Scripture um, that we as Christians are, are still being saved, We are still entering that rest. It's just how big salvation is. It's not just fire insurance. Insurance. Remember in the New Testament, salvation is spoken of in in those three different ways. And that's what I mean. There's a past tense way. There's that event. The past tense, um, where we've been saved. And then there's the future tense. So here's like past tense, future tense, where we will be saved. And then there's a present tense. We are being saved. It's just God's way of how he speaks of salvation. The way of salvation is that we rest from trying to do your own good works to establish self-righteousness. We rest from that. We're only saved by entering through Christ and what he accomplished on the cross for guilty sinners, for us. We rest in Christ's finished work alone. Period. That's what we rest in. So believers are in God's rest in a past tense way. It's just a past tense reality for us as believers. If you're saved, you're f- saved. And then there's this future tense, entering the fullness of God's rest in heaven or until Christ returns. We talked about uh, Revelation 14:13, but But there's, there's a rest we get right now in Christ. There's a sense in scripture that we're still being saved. A present tense reality. And that's what we're talking about. That's what we're talking about this morning. We are commanded to be diligent to enter that rest. That's what verse 11 is all about. Let us be diligent to enter that rest. And we need to entrust ourselves to the way God set salvation up to be. And he says, you know, he says, I'll finish what I started. And by the way, work it out with fear and trembling. That's how God set salvation up to be. It's God's design, his great plan for salvation. Remember, it's so helpful to remember we're in this mixed condition, right? Um, And it's helpful to think about those three words that begin with P. We've been freed from the penalty of sin. We've been freed from the power of sin. Those were paid for by Christ. But we still have what? The presence of sin. That's our mixed condition. So in working out our salvation, we're still battling the presence of sin. Right? Right? And now we fight the presence of sin with new hearts in their mixed condition. We couldn't do that before with our old hearts, with our old inner man. We couldn't do that. We didn't want to. But now we can with new hearts. We do it with and from the gospel because of our love for Christ. And the first question on your outline is, are you passionate to spend yourself? Spend. S-P-E-N-D. Spend yourself to enter the rest that comes from God. Not spin. We're not spinning. We're spending. <laughs> so what does it mean to spend yourself? And I gave you two places to start last week, right? It's being diligent to spend yourself to enter that rest. In doing that, we need to know. It's not do anything, right? We need to know what Christ accomplished on the cross for us. Spend yourself to know those things. Spend yourself to know this. Spend yourself to know the gospel. Know gospel realities. Know gospel truths. What are the benefits of the gospel now to us in our mixed condition? A great tool, a great book that has helped me so much in this. I know many of you um, have read it, and I'm pretty sure it's at the book table at church, is the Gospel Primer. It just helps me think of how I live daily in light of gospel realities alright so how can we be diligent to enter his rest if we don't know what he's accomplished on the cross for us how can we do that well the second, the second point is to spend yourself in entrusting your life to Christ and his work on the cross it's not enough to just know it we must entrust our lives to it and that means daily it means hour by hour sometimes or minute by minute It takes heart shepherding. And this is a diligence that flows from the certainty that God's wrath has been propitiated. It's been satisfied. Not only that, it's been exhausted by Christ for us. This certainty is a confident trust that what God said He did, He did. It's finished. Remember Philippians one, Paul says he's confident of this very thing that he who began a good work will complete it. And then in Philippians two twelve, he says, Work out your salvation with fear and trembling, because it's not because it's uncertain, but work it out because we're confident and we're certain because we know that verse thirteen he says it's God who's at work in you, both to will and work for his good pleasure. And then back to Hebrews, chapter 4, verse 11, what he says, uh, so that no one will fall through following the same example of dis- disobedience. And so the question uh, that we need to think about is how concerned are we with our disobedience? We need to remind our hearts, shepherd our hearts with the gospel to that, to our disobedience. And there's nothing accidental about us bending ourselves. It's an intentional spending. We must be intentional and purposeful and zealous to enter the great salvation's rest that was achieved for us by Christ. And remember, this isn't about being hyper or like a frenzy. This isn't about an emotional high. You know, though emotions are certainly involved. But remember, emotions, they come, they go. This is about being faithful, about faithfulness to the very end. So spend yourself to know what Christ accomplished at the cross for guilty sinners. Spend yourself in entrusting your life to, them, to him, to Christ and his work on the cross. That's salvation's rest. That's the greater rest in Christ. And that was our question and challenge last week. Is this your passion? Is this our passion? Do we think about our life in terms of, of, of uh, being passionate to pursue this? Remember, this is a command. This is a command. Have you been thinking about this at all? Anyone? Just been thinking, you know, like in terms of that? I've been so convicted about this, and I'm so thankful. I I just continually need this warning before me. We can't close. There's so much at stake. So much at stake, right? Alright, so that leads us to the second question on your outline. To the second point. That was all review. Alright, so the second question that you can fill out is, Are you passionate to search yourself with the Word of God? Are you passionate to search yourself with the Word of God? Let's look at our passage again. Let's look at Hebrews 4.12. You know it's a familiar verse. You know it. Maybe you even memorized it. For the word of God is living and it's active and it's sharper than any two-edged sword and it's piercing. As far as division of soul and spirit of both joints and marrow, and it's able to judge the thoughts and intentions of the heart. Many of us have memorized that, but maybe not paying close attention to what's, ahead, what's in front of it. Verse 11. So let's look back at verse 11 again. He says, therefore, let us be diligent to enter that rest so that no one will fall through following the same example of disobedience. And then verse 12 says, for the word of God is living and active and sharper than any two-edged sword. For that word for is an explanation given for why the reader needs to be diligent. So why does he need? Why does the reader need to be diligent? Why do we need to be diligent? Because of God's word. We could read it like this. Therefore, let us be diligent to enter that rest so that no one will fall through following the same example of disobedience because because the Word of God is living and active and sharper than any two-edged sword. It's so important to understand what God's Word is doing, what it's doing with our inner man, with our hearts. That's why we focus on discipline one so much. And the writer of Hebrews, he's already been making this very point about our hearts, right? He's already pointed out the relationship between God's divine word and our hearts. All throughout chapter 3 and and then into our passage. Remember chapter 3, verse 7. We read this last week. And again, it's from Psalm 95. He says, today if you hear his voice, if you hear the words of God, do not harden your what." Do not harden your hearts. So he's saying there's a relationship between God's word and our hearts. Verse eight says, "Do not harden your hearts." Verse ten says they always go astray with their heart. Verse twelve says, "Take care, brethren, that there not be in any one of you an evil or an unbelieving what heart." See how he's already been addressing the heart over and over again. Verse 15 then, he repeats it, uh, Psalm 95 again, and he says, Today if you hear his voice, do not harden your heart." So there's this emphasis on the word, emphasis on the the heart. And then look at chapter 4, verse 7, he repeats it again. If you hear his voice, do not harden your hearts. God's intended that his words would intersect with our hearts. And the problem that he's addressing here is that our tendency, their tendency, our tendency is to make our hearts unreceptive to God's word. And that's the warning because we can we can be so prone to make them hard and cold to his word, right? And here in verse twelve, he's telling us how effective the word of God is with our hearts. Let's look at verse twelve again. We're just gonna keep reading again. The word of God is living and it's active, and it's sharper than any two edged sword. And it's piercing as far as division of soul and spirit of both joints and marrow, and it's able to judge the thoughts and intentions of it. So the call from this entire section of Scripture is is if if God's Word is doing this, in verse 12, if it's doing this, if, if His Word is searching the inner man, our inner man, then the wisest thing for us to do is to participate with God's Word, to cooperate with God's Word. And we do that by, by giving it the platform to be most effective as it, as it searches. So search yourself, but, but we don't search ourselves apart from God's Word. We search ourselves with His Word. We need to see ourselves as, as God's Word sees us. So we don't fight it, but we cooperate, we participate. We humble ourselves before his word. We humble ourselves under his word. This is really interesting. Okay, so in the Greek, if you want to give a word in your sentence, emphasis, you know, like to make a big impact, you put it at the very front of the sentence. And you know what? I sound really smart when I say that, don't I? But I don't know Greek. That's just what I'm told, right? I, I really struggle with English, as you've already probably, as you already know. But that's what I'm told in the Greek. We want to, uh, if there's an emphasis that's needed, they put it at the front of the sentence. And so what is the very first word describing the word of God here in verse 12? Living. It's living. It would be translated in the Greek like this. For living is the word of God. It's emphasized. God's word is living. God is living. God's word is alive and it's active to penetrate our hearts, to search our inner man, to discern us, who we are at the deepest level. And you know, something can be alive, right? But not really active. You know, like when someone's in a coma, they're alive, but they're not they're not active, or like when a bear hibernates, he's alive, but you know, he's, he's not active. But that's not what God's Word is like. It's living. God's Word is energetically alive. That's what it means for his own intentions and purposes in our hearts, for his own. It's active. It's doing something. And what the author says next, after living, is very important. What does it say? The Word of God is living. It's active. And... It's like a really soft, cuddly blanket that you can just wrap up in, and it's so pretty. No, that is not what it says at all. Scott uses this illustration in Build, and we always try to improve on his illustrations, and we just can't, right? We just, we just have a hard time, so we just go back to his illustrations. So if you've heard it before, well, you're going to hear it again. But he talks about being at like a football game or at a, you know, at a graduation where they sneak in one of those balls they blow up and it's this really soft beach ball like thing, really colorful. And they blow it up and it's light and it's soft and they begin to like bat it around. And so, you know, someone bats it, bat, and it goes flying in one direction. And then someone else bats it and it goes taking off in, you know, another direction. And the ball is just going from place to place and people are batting it and it it looks like it's alive. It goes from person to person. It flies all over the place. It goes flying in one direction. Someone else hits it. Completely different direction, right? To the other side. It's going fast. It's flying. It looks like it's alive. It's active. But it's at the mercy of every will that it comes to, right? It's at their mercy. And you know what's really sad? Is that it's kind of the way some people read their Bible? It's kind of sometimes it's the way churches are when they read the, the Bible, when they read His Word or do Bible studies, like a postmodern view. They all just get together and just bat around God's Word. <clears throat> Here's what it means to me bat. Well, here's what I think it means to me, bat. Here's what it means to me, bat. And they hit it back and forth to one another as if it depends on what their will says. That's not what is being said here at all. You would never do that with something that's living, active, and sharper than any two-edged sword, would you? Would you do that? No. It doesn't say it's sharp sword. It says it's sharper than any two-edged sword. Now imagine this. What if someone in the crowd takes out a two-foot, double-edged sword and they throw that in the air? How quick would we want to bat that around? Not so much, right? It's a two-foot, double-edged sword. And it's the sharpest. And now all those individual wills, they don't feel so eager to take a thoughtless swing at that. God's Word is living. It's active. And it's not just a sharp sword, it's a sharper than any two-edged sword. This is really kind of cool. Um, there was a, um, there's this hand-to-held hand-held sword that the Roman soldiers would use in hand-to-hand combat, and it was the sharpest in their arsenal. And it would do some serious damage. And so its grip, it would be well worn. And it would be shaped just right for that soldier's hand. Not different hands, but just that one soldier's hand. A sword was meant, meant for his hand only, to be directed by his will alone. And God's word is like that. It's subject to his will. Not my will, his will. So when we come into the presence of God's word, we humble ourselves and we carefully place ourselves under His word under the sharpest of all instruments. And we handle it very carefully. Because God is guiding His sharp and active word perfectly. He's guiding it to our inner being. He's guiding it to our inner man. We should be very, very careful. Very, very humble. And very, very gentle. Because God's word is not something to be thrown around. And when we get together... Maybe as we encourage one another, you know, we counsel one another, maybe at times in admonishing one another, we should be very careful not to bat it around or to be thoughtless. But to remember it's very sharp, and I need to handle it carefully, and I need to hand it to you carefully, humbly, gently. And the description keeps on building. God's word is sharp in order to penetrate deeply and accurately, and it's piercing. Verse 12 says, it's sharper than any two-edged sword. It's piercing. As far as division of soul and spirit of both joints and marrow. Basically, soul and spirit, joints and marrow, it's kind of an accumulation of terms, expressing the inward part of you. Inward part of man. What I can't see physically with my own eyes, like my joints and like my marrow, what is hidden from my sight in my inward being is not hidden from God at all. It's not hidden from God's word, seen by God. His word has no trouble penetrating to my inner man. That's what it does. And what does it do once it's there? It says it's able to judge the thoughts and intentions of the heart. That word judge is a legal term, and it means that it's the that's a great critic of our hearts, of the inner man. The word of God does not open us up at the heart level to the place where we can't even see and to our inner man lay us bare and then say, you know, all right, so what do you think? How do you feel about this? You go ahead. You give your opinion of what you see. Oh, his word judges. His word judges. His word discerns the thoughts and intentions of our hearts. We're opened up so that it can give its opinion. It can give its criticism. It can give its rebuke. And it opens us up so that it can give its encouragement. Where we've been conformed to the image of Christ. Now that's encouraging, right? And you know, I have trouble. I don't know if I'm sure. I'm going to say I don't know if you're like me, but I have trouble discerning what's going on in my heart. My motives, my thoughts, my intentions, what's pure, what's sinful. You know, when I'm left to my own assessment, because I usually... Oh, but I will tell you this. I have no trouble thinking I can discern your motives and what's in your heart, right? We like to do that. But our motives and our thoughts, our intentions, they're so tangled. They're so intertwined. They're twisted together in our hearts there's right thinking, there's sinful thinking, and they're tangled within my heart, and I struggle to untangle all that and pull it apart and discern, left to myself. I can't search myself effectively to see what's going on in my inner man. I tend to give myself the benefit of the doubt. Maybe rationalize. And you know, I'm so thankful that I can even recognize Because that's a much better place than where I was before. A much better place than we were before. We didn't even care. Didn't even know. Because I'm in a new condition. We're in a new condition. Though mixed, there's still this residue of sin, but we're not who we once were. And, and it's nothing compared to where we will be. Right? So we battle. We participate. And we, can rec- and we can encourage um, and be encouraged that um, we're not who we once were. Okay, so God's Word enables us to search and see our own hearts. This is why our lives cannot be lived far away from His Word. Because my view of myself, our view of ourselves, will be just all twisted. If we have God's word on our heart and mind, we can see ourselves as God's word sees us. I can search myself as God's word searches me. And that's what we need, right? That's what we need. So do you see how important it is? How it's very wise for us to participate with God's word in its searching. Position yourself before his word. Participate in its searching long Long for it. Humble yourself under the mighty hand of God. And you know, it's so foolish for us to think that we can hide or we can bluff or we can maybe even try to manipulate or rationalize anything before God. You know, or think we can keep secrets from God. We can keep our thoughts and our motives hidden, you know, just to myself. Hidden from God. That's impossible. He sees everything. So when we say, shepherd your heart to the word of God, we mean position your heart there. Position your heart before God and his word so that his word gives you an accurate view, an accurate perspective of where your heart really is. It's the best place to be. And again, all of this is given in verse 12 as the explanation as to why we should be diligent to spend ourselves to inner salvation's rest because God's word is searching us. His word's always searching. Always done that. It's always functioned that, that way. His word was doing that with the people back in the wilderness when he was speaking through um, his voice. When you hear my voice, do not you harden your heart. He says, participate with my voice. So don't fight it. Don't harden your heart to God's word. Instead, participate. Invite it. Plead with God for an attitude that wants to participate. And sometimes that's where we start. That's where we have to start. Plead with him, Lord, I want an attitude that does participate. Lord, keep me humble. Please keep me from hardening my heart. Plead for a careful, humble, tender, hardened attitude that wants to cooperate, that wants to participate. And see yourself as, to see that yourself as the, uh, as the word of God sees you. And you know, if you start to coast, you can expect that your inner man, your heart, who you are in totality, even in its mixed condition, it's just not going to be as receptive to his word. It grows hard. Cold. There's so much at stake. So are you passionate to search yourself with the word of God? Number three. Are you passionate to strip yourself before the God of the word? Are you passionate to strip Yourself before the God of the Word. Verse 12 describes the Word of God and what it does and sees. Remember, it's living, it's active, it's sharper than any two-edged sword, and it's piercing as far as the division of soul and spirit. That's what the Word of God does and sees. And now verse 13 describes what the God of the Word sees. There's no creature hidden from his sight, but all things are open and laid bare to the eyes of him with whom we have to do it. if you search yourself with God's word, and it's revealed to you that maybe you are hiding, and you've got the shield up, and you're even maybe wearing a mask, you've got a disguise over your heart. There's really no use in pretending that God doesn't see through it. See, because we're not hidden from His sight. We're not hidden from His sight. He sees everything. We are open. We're we're laid bare. Um, we're naked before God. He's, he's fully aware of everything in us, everything that we are at the heart level. It's kind of uncomfortable, isn't it, if, to think in those terms. I don't know about you, but it kind of makes me feel kind of uncomfortable, laid bare, naked before God. It's a good description of how we are, though. So masking or disguising or trying to hide what's going on before God, it doesn't work. It's not effective. It's about as effective as a... As a little child closes her, when she closes her eyes, you know, and she covers her face and thinks she can't be seen, you know, like when you play peekaboo, and you know, my little granddaughter, we play peekaboo. She's like, "Where's, you know, where's Hattie?" And she thinks she's hiding. There she is, thinking that we can hide as about as foolish as that from God. And uh, this idea uh, of, of being laid bare to the eyes of him uh, is not completely clear what it is of what laid bare means. It's parallel to the word naked. Laid bare, naked, open, laid bare. Some think it's when they lifted the head of, the, of a sacrificial animal and they slit its throat, it was laid bare. Some think it was a wrestling move like when they used in the Olympics or the gladiator games. They would wrestle. They would wrestle naked. And they would get their opponent down in a hold. And when the neck was exposed, he was laid bare. He was vulnerable. There was nothing he could do but give up, but submit. You're submissive. You're not in control. That's the point. Most likely, it's a lifting up of the chin or a lifting up of, you know, face, having face-to-face or eye-to-eye contact with God. I used to do this with my kids, and I see some of you moms doing it. You know, where you take their sweet little faces and you lift them up, you know, so they'll look at you. And sometimes, you know, their face is towards you and their eyes are like this. (laughs) And you're going, look at me. And they're like, (laughs) looking everywhere, but where you, you know, where you want them to look. You want, you want to have, you know, face-to-face contact. You want their full attention, you know what we need and you and they need to know that you see them, you know what they're doing. And you know what we need to remember? God sees us. He sees us. God's fully aware of everything that's in us at a heart level. It's good to remember this. It's just a great reminder. We need our eyes lifted up to be reminded. He sees me. He sees through everything. He knows me. So if God's already right now sees who we truly are then what should we do? <clears throat> submit. Submit. We submit. We surrender. We, we need to surrender, not fight it. He's not going to crush you. He already crushed his son for you. He's our father. If he already sees us open, laid bare before him, vulnerable, before Him, we can just drop masks. We, we can drop disguises. We can surrender and submit and communicate with God. God, I know, I know You see me for who I truly am, and I'm glad. Thank You. I need to remember this. You see me. You see me as my Father. You're my Father. It's so helpful and just, you know, removing anything that I'm trying to hide from God, or as C.J. Mahaney puts it, in a carefully edited version of ourselves. We may be tempted to wear disguises or shields or masks before others. You know, with our families and our friends, small group, we don't have to have a shield up. We don't. We can participate with God by embracing this truth that God sees me, and that's the most important thing. God sees me, and that's good. It's good. So strip yourself, because nothing is hidden from God in the end. So think about this. This is how we could put it together. Search yourself now. With the word of God so that you are able to strip yourself before the word of God. Before the God of the word. Sorry. Why? Also that you can effectively spend yourself for salvation's rest. I'll repeat it. Search yourself now with the word of God. So that you are able to strip yourself before the God of the word. Why? Also that you can effectively spend yourself for salvation's rest. Okay, so there you have your three points from our passage in Hebrews four eleven through 13. But there's one more, that's number four, and it's, it's from a greater context of Hebrews, and it's this, number four. Soak yourself in the gospel of Jesus Christ. Soak yourself in the gospel of Jesus Christ. Are you passionate to soak yourself in the gospel of Jesus Christ? I looked up the synonyms for the word soak, and I love it. It's immerse, steep, marinate, infuse, saturate, bathe, drench. Do that. Do that in the gospel of Jesus Christ. Hebrews 4.11 is very sobering. It's a sober warning. It's a heavy warning. The writer's concerned that disobedience is gaining ground. The people are starting to coast. history's repeating itself. It was a very, very serious time, and it needed a serious warning. And there's a sense of urgency in this command to be diligent to enter this rest in Christ, that rest in Christ. And I cannot help but think after hearing this that there may be some conviction. There may be even some discouragement right now. Maybe because you know you're not. You know you're not spending yourself. You're not searching yourself. You're not stripping yourself before the God of the Word. The writer of Hebrews, he knows, by the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, exactly what we need to hear next. And what does he write next? Look at verse 14. He says, therefore, since we have a great high priest, ladies, we have a great high priest. And that high priest stands between us and God. And he's on our side. He's on our side. And he's our on our father's side. And he intercedes for us there. He's passed through the heavens. Jesus, the Son of God, let us hold fast our confession. He's the one who made purification of sins, and he sat down at the right hand of the Majesty on high. There's nothing more for him to do. It is done. He sits before God on our behalf. Know this. Rest in this. And all the realities like this. He became a merciful and faithful high priest in things pertaining to God to make propitiation for the sins of his people. That's the gospel. What did the writer know we needed to hear after this? He takes us to Jesus, our great high priest, the gospel. Soak yourself there. Soak yourself in the gospel. And you know, I can't even assume that you're all my sisters in Christ. I don't know your hearts. God does. But regardless of where you are, Regardless, soak yourself in the gospel so that if the eyes of your heart have not been opened to see your need, your true need for a Savior, your true need for salvation's rest in Christ alone, that he might open your eyes to see his great salvation, to see his atoning work, that your eyes might see your great need for a Savior and that he would give you a new heart A heart that only he can give. To grant you forgiveness and true faith. Soak yourself in the gospel. So, soak yourself in the promises of the gospel that still flow to us from the right hand of the majesty on high. Let's look at verse 15. It says, For we do not have a high priest who cannot sympathize with our weaknesses. Are you weak? Are you weak? Are you feeling weak? We do not have a high priest who cannot sympathize with our weaknesses, but one who is tempted in all things as we are yet without sin. And then look at what he says next. Therefore, let us draw near with confidence. Remember, he sees everything that we are, and that might be really scary or discouraging, but yet yeah, what does he say to us? He says, you are weak and you are not diligent, so run and hide. That is not what he says. He says, draw near. Draw near with confidence. Don't run away and hide. Don't run away and hide and think that you have to beat yourself up or that you have to get yourself self get your own act together and then come to God. No, he says, draw near to God now. You're weak. Draw near to him with confidence. To the throne of what? To the throne of what you deserve. Or to the throne of God who's waiting with a big stick, you know, waiting to hit you over the head. No. To the throne of grace. To the throne of grace so that we may receive mercy and find grace to help in time of need. Let us be diligent to soak in the grace of God. Grace. It's unmerited, undeserved favor towards us. We've got a mediator, a great high priest. Turn your eyes to him. Jesus. Soak yourself in Christ. Ladies, He knows that we're weak in this. He knows. God knows that we're in need of mercy and that we don't pursue Him diligently as we should. God knows that we all need to find grace. He knows that we're in great need. And you know, that's who His Son is for you. He's the one who provides all of those things for you. And look at what he does for you. He has a throne of grace where he gives mercy. We're coasters. We're coasters. We're in a mixed condition with a residue of sin and we're weak. We need help and he provides grace. And he's there for us. Draw near. Soak yourself. In verse 14 through 16, daily, just don't stay on verses 11 through 13. Knowing that he's our great high priest and that he sympathizes with our weaknesses and that we can draw near with confidence to his throne of grace so that we may receive mercy and grace to help in time of need, that does not motivate us to coast. It's our great motivator to keep going, to run, to run by his grace and to know and draw near to our Savior, the one you are running to and for. Soak yourself in chapter 7, verse 25. He's able to save those forever. He's able to save forever those who draw nearer to God through Him, since we, He always lives to make intercession for them. It he says He's able to save those forever who draw near. It doesn't say He's able to save those forever who keep on, keeping on in their own strength, Right. If you do that, you grow weary. You grow very weary. Discontent? Ungrateful? Maybe self-righteous? No. He says since. He always lives to make intercession for them. In verse 26, it says, It was fitting for us to have such a high priest, holy, innocent, undefiled, separated from sinners, exalted above the heavens, who does not need daily like those high priests who offered up sacrifices first for their own sins and then for the sins of the people because this he did once for all when he offered up himself. Once for all. That's where our confidence is. It's not in ourselves. He keeps his promises and we need to soak ourselves in these precious promises. You, believer, can come with confidence to the throne of grace. He tells us to knowing that he always lives to make intercession for you. He's our great high priest. Draw near. Father, thank you that you are a great high priest and that we can draw near. We're weak and we're needy. And you offered up yourself for us. Oh, Lord, I pray that we wouldn't run, we wouldn't hide, that we would um, be confident and rest in the in the hope and promises and, that we have in you. It's in your son's name we pray. Amen.